Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 45 of Hypnosis Weekly. friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a European Championship of a show lined up for you today. And yes indeed the European Football Championships are underway. I hope you'll be cheering on the show today enthusiastically wishing for hypnosis related goals and not throwing beer bottles or climbing over barricades to attack us. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest, Dan Cleary. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis gets portrayed in the media and comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Dan Cleary. We shall be exploring his specialist approach to dealing with pain. We'll round things off with this week's evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I said at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis, and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate along the way. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the Hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all today is this week's interview. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Daniel Cleary to Hypnosis Weekly. Dan has been a hypnotherapist for a large number of years now, as you are about to learn, and was recommended to me by one of our former guests as someone who would himself be a great guest. I approached Dan in response and was very happy when he agreed to join us. Dan is one of those people who derived a huge amount of personal benefit from hypnosis himself and therefore has a great deal of insight with regards to the issues that we discuss later on in the show. And off air when we chatted, he made me laugh and really made a staying impression with me as he knew about the Gulf Stream and how it affected the weather in my hometown here on the south coast of England, which is typically a lot warmer than the rest of the UK. So there you go, folks. If you ever want to be my BFF, just be able to talk about the weather and microclimate in Bournemouth. For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Mr. Daniel Cleary. Dan, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Well, thank you so much. 
So first of all, Dan, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us, how did you get into the hypnosis field? And um, 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 tell us a bit about your background and how you arrived at where you are now. Introduce yourself to us. Well, I, I got into hypnosis accidentally. I, I think uh, many hypnotists probably come in through a, a similar way. Yeah. In that in their own life, they we encounter something that hypnosis works for. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, really? I, ne <laughs> you know, I never would have thunk this. <laughs> I had been in a motorcycle wreck in, I think it was 1978. Yeah. And end result of the wreck was a what's called a brachial plexus avulsion, which paralyzed my right arm from the shoulder down uh, some other areas, side of my face and my shoulder and back, yada yada, sure. um, and left a incredible burning, crushing electrical pain. Yeah. Um. So I did not sleep. Uh, I I took every drug available, and as it happens, I mean, I was a child of the '60s. I had drugs available. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I took them all, uh, with very little effect. Yes. I did not sleep in the conventional sense for five years. Uh, I would be up for 24 to 36 hours at a time. Blimey. And then I would collapse for three or four hours and waken in tears. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up with a hypnotist, uh, who in retrospect, wasn't even very good. Yeah. Uh, however, during the during the induction phase, he, he was he had me walk down 20, 20 concrete steps <laughs> <laughs> into an underground cavern and all this. Yeah. And uh, I was, in my mind, I was down at the bottom going, come on, wait, no, <laughs> let's go, already yeah. here. <laughs> uh, but I realized that it was a form of, well, my early, again, child of the 60s, uh, studied meditation and, uh, think, you know, mind-body stuff then. Yeah. And then it was a variation on on the metaphysics of that time. Sure. Uh, and so I went home and played with it at home in my spare time, so to speak, and began developing it um, for my personal use. To be, I, I didn't. The, the the most important thing was that after about fifteen or twenty minutes of his droning on about walking through this underground passage, and I don't like. I don't like underground passages. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Not me either. Well, I mean, it, the, the funny thing is that five or six years after that, I took a, a certification course. Yeah. And the first script I had was walk down twenty steps <laughs> <laughs> into the into a grotto under the mountain. You know, and it's like, dude, I live in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
shine. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, you know, it's a funny thing, you know, Dan. It's funny you should say that. The first time I was ever hypnotized, um, I'm, I'm, I was taken into hypnosis by a guy who was saying to me, imagine lying on a beach and you're in the sun and, and so on. And I remember thinking, you sado, you know, have you, have you seen the color of my hair? Uh, have you seen, you know, how much I like sitting in the sun? And, um, and so, so I, I can remember also at the same time thinking about, the, about my first hypnosis experience and thinking, um, um, this guy has no idea, you know, I would, I would much rather be doing something else. So um, um, I, I, I take it that you're, that you're an extreme sandy blonde Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have red hair. I have ginger hair. And, you know, us oh, guys, yeah. m me and Sunshine, we don't get on that well. You know, I spend lots of time out in it, but I need nuclear fallout paint to be covering my skin before I dare dare venture out anywhere, you know? Yeah, um, that's F 600. I, I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, 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 so then you, you, you took a course, you took a class. Well, I, I, before that, I, after my first session with this guy, um, I was sleeping six to eight hours within a week. Mm. Uh, and he took me off all my drugs. He was a psychiatrist. Right. Uh, and, you know, you had to go to a certified certified, you know. I didn't yeah. know. Um, my HMO, uh, Health Maintenance Organization, uh, literally told me that hypnosis was voodoo. <laughs> and I, I could not do it under their policy, uh, even though I was going to a psychiatrist who was recommended by the chief psychiatrist of the HMO. Right. Um, so I, I developed, within a week, I was able to begin to sleep six to eight hours at a time. Wow. And that was, that's, that's you, you get your whole life back. Yeah, right. And so I began developing ways to do it for myself uh, to get into this trance state where I could get past far enough past most of the pain to the point of being able to sleep. Yeah. And I also be I I, I run my mouth. What can I say? So <laughs> I I figured if I can do it in twenty minutes, I can do it in two minutes. Yeah. And if I can do it in two minutes, all I have to do is change my mind. Right. And so I began doing that for myself, how to get into that trance state while I'm driving the car, while I'm doing the things that I have to do during the day. Mm. And I started, I had, before my wreck, I, I was a carpenter. And part of learning to be left-handed uh, I went out and did what anybody else would do to learn to be left-handed because, you know, no, no use of the right arm. Uh, I bought a 34-foot sailboat that needed to be rebuilt. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay, by the time I finish with this... A full-on challenge. By the time I finish with this, I'll be left-handed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I... Most of the people that I knew were people that did physical labor for their daily life mm -hmm. and therefore had aches and pains. And they all knew that I was dealing with a lot of pain, or most of them did. Yeah. And so they would come to me when they hurt themselves and ask me how I 
you know, and I would tell them stories. And I, I was doing this one time. I, uh, my boat was being hauled out of the water. I was down in Florida by this time. This was, oh, probably early 90s. And uh, the guy who was running, I don't know if you know what a travel lift is. Tell me. But it's a, a huge crane on wheels. Right. That drives out over the water and lifts boats up. Okay. You know, so it, it's big. Yeah. And the guy driving this crane to bring my boat out of the water uh, was a friend of mine, and he was telling me he had very bad back pain. And I said, "Oh, I can take care of that for you. You know, let's let's just go ahead and do the boat, and and I'll just sit uh, sit here." And I sat on the engine of the crane of the travel lift, which is right in front of the driver's position. And I was basically screaming at him about how to change his thinking. Yeah. And I was talking about the boat. And I was saying, you, you know how to align it, and you know how to lift it in just that way. And you can feel the pressure of the straps that pull it up. Mm -hmm. You can ease them and adjust them. You know all these things in your daily life. And I was just talking like this about the boat with directions for how to straighten his spine and let off the muscles that were too tight. Mm. And he, when he finally put the boat, set the boat down and got it set up, he said, you know, that's amazing. I, I, I don't, my back's fine now. I, I, I don't get it. And he says, uh, <laughs> he says that, you know, that's hypnosis. And I said, no, no, it's not hypnosis. There were no stairs. <laughs> and he says, no, and not only that, but you should get paid for that. And that got my attention. Yeah. And within a week, somebody came up to me, out, as it often happens, out of the blue, came up to me and said, oh, you know, so-and-so's got a hypnosis class. Well, I didn't know so-and-so, and I went down and took the class. And the first thing, the first induction, as I said, was go down 20 <laughs> steps. Uh, you know, when you get to the bottom, you go into this cavern. So, I I tend to use the client's story for my inductions uh, rather than taking them to the beach or to a cavern in mm. the hill. <laughs> yeah, great. Great. Um, well, I may already know that story. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, how... Um, so, so today then, um, and you've, you know, and, and you've been working for, for a long time since then, um, um, where are you at with hypnosis? I mean, how, how do you define hypnosis? Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you, how you arrived at that definition and, and perhaps, you know, whether you, whether there's any difference between how you explain hypnosis to your clients or, or other people. Well, I, I start my classes. The first thing I say to my students or even with one-on-one with, -on -one with clients is, uh, first I ask what they think hypnosis is. Yeah, right. Uh, because it's not important what I think it is. Sure. Uh, and then when they say this and this and this, you know, and you dance like a chicken or sing like Elvis or, and you know, uh, yeah, well, you, we could do that if you'd like to do that. I mean, you know, it's your session. Uh, 
but basically, hypnosis does not exist. Mm -hmm. uh, I you put ten hypnotists in a, in a group and ask them, and they will have ten different things of what it means. Absolutely. Uh, I don't. Th I don't think that it can be categorized. Uh, it, it's a, a dear friend of mine is very much into uh, scientific evidence and and that type of thing. Mm. And, and I keep saying to her that you know until we can learn to define consciousness, we can't define anything else to do with it. Sure. And we have no way of what, we, we don't know what consciousness is. We don't know how to define awareness. We, we can define unconsciousness. So, to me, in the context of um, transformation work, mm -hmm. hypnosis is a form of communication. Mm -hmm that we use our language and our communication skills in such a way to work toward an agreed-upon outcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, all the politics that's going on here in the, in the States, people say, oh, this person's using hypnosis and that person, you know, yeah, this person's using communication techniques that work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, a communication technique that worked doesn't mean that the that the intent is uh, beneficial to the most. Sure. It just means that it's effective for the message that they're selling. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So I, I think that hypnosis, is, you know, in the context of transformation is really just... Uh, Whatever we want to make it, it's about making, it's about establishing an effective communication. And it's not just between the hypnotist and the client. It is helping the client to establish a better communication within himself or herself. Yeah. 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 Because um, that's, they could do whatever it is they came to do with or without you. Hmm. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I mean, otherwise it would be, you know, a five foot four guy comes in and wants to play um, for the Celtics, you know. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I can help you with your jump shot, but I can't make you seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Um, um, so, so within your within your study and within the years that you've been working within this field, um, um, which is which is a you know a long time. Can you tell us about some of your influences, Dan? Um, some of your major influences, perhaps even some of the books or authors that taught you most, um, some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you and the reasons why? Well, oddly enough, that that is um, literally everybody. Uh, it's hard to nail it down. Sure. I've read, of course, different authors and, and been to... I, I've been doing the conferences for years, probably two and a half decades. Yeah. <clears throat> so as a as a presenter. Yeah. And so in that role, I have the ability to walk in and out of classes. Yeah. Uh, uh, virtually everybody that's on the you know that's on that circuit uh, in the current you know in the last twenty. 
25 years. Um, you know, and I, I've read Elman and Rossi and uh, Erickson and a lot of different people, but I get as much information. My my true tutor, my mentor, is my client. Yeah. They teach yeah. me that when I come up with what uh, what becomes a framework or a template for future work with people, it's because an individual client just scared the pee out of me <laughs> by by challenging or not going along with whatever I was thinking that would would be effective with them before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, so they, they said or did something that made me come up with something that I end up using as a framework for future work. Sure. So 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 what you're saying is that your approach is quite eclectic. You've drawn upon a wide range of different approaches and, and things that tend to appeal to, to you and, 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 and how you work. I, I yes. I, and I, I get I get um uh, Again, if hypnosis, in my context, hypnosis being communication, I get my I get good information from poorly written ad script, uh, sure. from novels, from virtually anywhere. When I, when I I am tuned in to listen with people to what is actually being said. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Uh, you know, many people will say, uh, I hope you're doing well. Mm. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds nice on the surface. Yeah. I, I don't want them to hope. (laughs) (laughs) Hope is, I hope I win the lottery. (laughs) Uh, I have no investment in this other than the cost of the ticket. I have no control over it. Yeah. Uh, I trust you're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. To me, those are the kinds of things. I mean, I I don't know if you, if if that's how that yeah. sounds differently to you. No, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And and you know those those kind of distinctions are, are fascinating. Um, and, 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 and so and, it, and it's not rigid. There are times that. that that you intentionally use poor language because it fits. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so depending upon the way in which your clients are are, are then communicating with you as and, and and how you respond in turn um um has 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 tended to be something that's educated you. Your experience has been a lot of what's educated you over the years. I, I think I get more out of the sessions than the clients do. <laughs> yeah, great, great, great. Honestly. And so over those years, you know, over these decades that you've been working within this field and, and the people that you've been working with, can you tell us um, um, about one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed, Dan? Um, well, I, I think it's it's got, you know, my, my area of specialty is pain relief. Yeah. And that's just because of the way I live my life. And yeah. I, I live my, you know, 24-7. I have signals that should be telling me I'm in uh, a, a considerable amount of pain. Yeah. <clears throat> um, when that 
changes for other people, that right there is the most amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, and what is taking place is that when these clients come to see us, uh, the typical pain relief client uh, come comes to see the typical hypnotist, if you will. Yeah. Of, of course, neither group of people being typical. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know aside, what you mean. Aside from that, they're all exactly different. <laughs> but two to five, two to six years after the onset of the of the situation. Yeah. Because it takes two years to go through the full medical model and give up. Sure. And after six years, most people have given up. Um, so when they come to see us, uh, they're already primed for, in many ways for failure. Yeah. Uh, they've been to 10 or 20 or 30, however many different practitioners, and nobody was able to help them to the extent of... Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. So, it, when, and, and the pain is in control of their life. Mm. And when they leave at, at the end of our session, and they have found a way that they can get a measurable level of relief in just a few minutes. Yeah. That's. Yeah, wow. That's the sweet spot, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's that, that's being alive, you know. That, 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 this is the stuff I love hearing about, um, um, and uh, it's it, really wonderful. It's, it's a return of control and or, or of a sense of control in the life of a person who had a an event, you know, whether it's a trauma or an illness or whatever, yeah, that brought about this pain that was in control of all phases of their life yeah and you and you are able to share with them here here's a little thing that you can do wherever you are and get a measurable amount of relief it may not be the whole enchilada but that here's here's a way to get enough so that you know that you can do this and this is day one when you practice this you'll get better yeah Whoa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, um, um, we're going to explore your approach to pain in a moment um, 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 later on in the show because, you know, I, I'm fascinated to hear about this. And certainly, you know, that, that sort of initial notion of being able to instill belief um, in that short period of time so that they can go on is something, I, you know, I really want to hear more about. Um, Dan, if we, if we could go back go back to when you when this all started for you you know um and there's two and a half decades back um, um and and beyond you know if you go back to when you started out as a hypnotherapist as you started out as a hypnosis professional knowing the stuff that you know now is there anything that you'd do differently and if so you know is, is there any additional advice that the person you are today would give that younger version of you um, and 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 would you would you extend that advice to hypnotherapists of today that are tuning into the show? Uh, the question of whether or not I what I would do differently, I can't even imagine. Um, if if I had turned left and got, instead of going straight on my motorcycle, I wouldn't have had to wreck. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if I, if, if I would do anything differently, I, I'd turn left. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I, I think probably taking myself too seriously. Mm. And in my in my training and uh, <coughs> so is that part of your work you know um, um, a, a lightness a, a humor a playfulness that sort of thing well I, I think of it that way some people I'm, I'm not uh, I'm sometimes fairly uh, what, what people think is a, a little direct right and not always as light as a as as I think I'm being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, you don't strike me as somebody who takes himself too seriously. So is that that's something that's developed and changed over the years? Is it? Well, yeah, yeah. That that is probably something that would fit your question of what would I do differently, and that is. It took me a long time to discover that my favorite belief is that I could be mistaken. Right. And that allows me the flexibility to believe and go along with whatever anybody else is telling me. Yeah. I don't have to agree with them to to get into their belief system. Mm. And when it comes down to it, I think that that's what marks a uh, an effective hypnotist is the flexibility to go into our clients world rather than trying to drag them into ours yeah you yeah. know it, go into their world of with you uh you know ch saying oh well this guy will not do well in the sun i can see that his skin tone and all this you know I, i'm not taking him to the beach i'd say uh, <laughs> if, yeah if yeah, you could thanks. be somewhere if you could be somewhere where would it be great yeah yeah, absolutely. That's the, that, that's the direction I'd be going in, or you know, or, or even suggest it. If, if you're going to take someone to a place at all, you know, why not let them choose? Um, let them decide. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, make a, you know, the place is imaginary to begin with, so make it up any way you like. Gravity yeah. is not gravity's not an issue. You can hang. If you want to be out at the beach, you can hang pictures on the imaginary walls around it if you want them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Um, yeah, now, now, Dan, we're going to, um, in a short while, we're going to start uh, uh, really, really popping the bonnet and getting in amongst um, um, and just sort of exploring your approach and your experience with, uh, with regards to overcoming pain. In the meantime, where can people go to learn more about your work and your approach to hypnosis and, and the trainings that you offer and, and all those kind of bits? Uh, DanClearyHypnosis.com. That's D-A-N-C-L-E-A-R-Y-H-Y-P-N-O-S-I-S.com. Great. And what we'll do is we'll, we will have um, a permanent link to danclearyhypnosis.com over at this episode of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, um, we will be back with Dan Cleary in a few short moments. Bear with us. I enjoyed that. As I said, we'll be back with Dan for our professional discussion shortly. So many of you have been asking me my thoughts 
about um, on a particular case. It's featuring a great deal in the media um, recently. Um, and that's what's going to be the central part of, of the hypnosis in the news section this week. In Texas, uh, in, the U- in the US, uh, currently a man is on death row, having been found guilty of involvement in a murder. Um, Charles Don Flores is due to be executed. And you can read about the case and the many reasons that it's questionable by following some of the links that I've given at the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, You can Google the story for more articles as well. And you'll get most of what you need to know from the websites and articles that that, that I'm putting up on the Hypnosis Weekly webpage. Now, I've been following the case for quite a while, not just because of the contentious nature of it, but because hypnosis features a lot in the media coverage of this case. There was a single eyewitness to have implicated Don Flores in the murder, um, and she gave her initial testimony while hypnotised by a police officer of the police force who were conducting the investigation. In this particular case, the way that hypnosis was used to elicit the eyewitness testimony was problematic, as the defence demonstrated the way the hypnosis session was conducted, violated several standards laid out um, um, in previous cases where a ruling was made that hypnosis sessions are to be conducted by an independent facilitator, not by the investigating police department, as was the case here. And, you know, we all know how the facilitator can lead in a way that creates problems with the veracity of the testimony given. In Texas, the law is such that the hypnosis session also has to be held outside a law enforcement atmosphere with only the subject and the hypnotist present. And this didn't happen. Again, you know, we all know context can dramatically affect hypnosis sessions. These issues, however, ought not even need to be discussed because hypnosis should not be used in the first place for eliciting eyewitness testimony. The evidence against using hypnosis for seeming forensic purposes is really quite damning. Hypnosis has been associated with memory recall and also memory alteration as far back as Bernheim in the 1880s and Janet. Whether hypnosis should or should not be used to recover memories has become a major thread of debate among hypnotherapists, psychotherapists, hypnosis academics and researchers for the past 30 years. Much more vigorously in the past 30 years, I hasten to add, and especially since some of the biggest litigation cases in psychiatric history in the US back in the 1990s. Now, despite a huge amount of evidence findings that I'll discuss shortly, hypnosis is still very popularly used as a means of recovering memory. And many clients and patients of hypnotherapists actually request this type of approach. So first and foremost, it ought to be said that modern day cognitive science suggests that memory is fallible and is also reconstructive in nature. You know, you can just go and examine Lynn and McConkie's 1998 study um, um, to verify that. However, not only is memory reconstructive, and what I mean by that is that we create our memories based upon the person that we are today, viewing the past through the lens of today, you know, duly filtering it and fitting it to who and how we are today. You know, it's reconstructive. Having a memory is a process, you know, it's not just a stored thing. But there's also the potential of hypnosis to increase confidence in 
um, inaccurate as well as accurate memories. That is, you know, studies suggest that hypnosis can even convince people that things which did not actually occur did. So, you know, if we have an, you know, an inaccurate memory, um, um, we, we become more confident in it being accurate as a result of hypnosis being used to elicit it. It's been shown that hypnosis brings a lot more material up, more memories up. That is, it brings more material into awareness when employed as a memory retrieval tool. So, you know, that means that more correct and incorrect material are brought up in larger quantities with hypnosis. Yet hypnotic recall is proven to be no more accurate than non-hypnotic recall. Um, um, and, and, you know, all the studies that support these statements that I'm making are included in the links that will that, be, be at this episode's um, webpage. Um, of, of hypnosis weekly and you know as I stated earlier hypnosis does tend to increase the individual's confidence that those memories are real and authentic so you know the, the previously quoted research does tend to suggest that those hypnotized are just as likely as non-hypnotized individuals to be misled by their own recall and this has been repeatedly tested and even when highly emotional experiences were being recalled in numerous studies conducted and repeated by Stephen Lynn and his colleagues back in the 1990s, hypnosis did not improve recall quality when comp compared with non-hypnotic recall. What's more problematic is that some researchers have found that when hypnosis is used to regress individuals to early life experiences, those memories can be distorted when hypnotised. All these hypnosis-related issues do not even take into account the heavily researched topic of imagination inflation, which has shown that when anyone is asked to recall fictitious events, they gradually develop more confidence in them being real. Um, so what I've spoken about here is far from exhaustive, and there's much more that can be said. Yet this evidence has been enough to ensure that in the vast majority of the Western world today, hypnosis is not used for memory recall um, um, as far as eyewitness testimony is, called, is, is concerned. And you know what else? Anyone can simply lie when hypnotised. Hypnosis does not guarantee that the person will tell the truth. It does not somehow inject honesty and ethics into the individual. However, in this Flores case, a lot of what I've just spoken about didn't really come into play and didn't need to because the eyewitness testimony that was given when hypnotised, the, the, the lady gave a description that was nothing like the accused. The eyewitness testimony given via hypnosis was not usable in court because it was a wholly inaccurate description that was nothing like the accused man Flores. However, after she'd been in court, she stated that she suddenly recognised Flores, who was the accused, in court and was then willing to testify against him. And Flores's defence team, during one of the later appeals, submitted testimony from Edward Geiselman, a UCLA professor and leading expert on witness interviewing, who interestingly suggested that by being hypnotised, it could have made the eyewitness believe that she was able to recognise the accused, that she, rather that she should be able to recognise the accused. And then when presented with this very distinct Latino man sitting in front of her in court, who she'd seen on TV screens for months before the trial, it was easy for her to believe that it was him um, that she'd seen on the day of the murders. 
If you read the media reports and explore some of the court notes that are available online, you'll see that this case has much more to it than issues with hypnosis. Um, um, heck, it's a candidate for Netflix to do Making of a Murderer 2. Um, but I wanted to comment upon the hypnosis component of it, because in short, hypnosis should not really be used to elicit eyewitness testimony. Um, I could understand it being used to help someone relax in order to be able to think more clearly, but even then it shouldn't be used for eyewitness testimony. Um, like I said, there's a, there's, uh, uh, there will be a link on the podcast, this podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com that will be able to send you to a wide bunch of resources with regards to all these things that I've mentioned here. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. Uh, I welcome back Dan Cleary. As you will have heard in today's interview section previously with Dan, um, and I'll partially cite Dan's own website here as well. You know, in 1978, he was partially paralysed as a result of a motorcycle accident. And um, um, as he discussed, as he spoke about earlier, that the major injury sustained um, gets referred to as a brachial plexus avulsion, which in his case um, causes a burning, crushing sensation throughout his arm and hand, um, in addition to the paralysis that he's suffered. For for five years, Dan was unable to sleep, and um, um, he then learned uh, hypnosis, and within a week began sleeping more regularly. You know, we, we heard him discussing that. Since that time, he's devoted himself to developing techniques and approaches for the relief of chronic conditions, in particular pain. Um, um, and even though Dan is still a chronic sufferer himself, he's learned to shift the discomfort and participate fully in life. Um, um, so I wanted to explore his ensuing approach with his clients and that's what we're going to be discussing here today and that's um, um, Dan's approach to dealing with pain as far as his clients are concerned so here you go then here's this week's professional discussion with Dan Cleary enjoy So I'm joined once again with this week's guest, Dan Cleary. And as you would have heard with Dan's uh, discussion about his, his motorcycle injury um, back in the 1970s, um, um, it, it, it was quite, quite, quite a sort of natural process for him to come to specialise um, within the area of using hypnosis for, for pain relief um, because, he, because he'd, he'd seen such such development in, in himself and was, was, was doing some incredible work with other people as well. Um, first of all, welcome back, Dan. Dan, can you just tell us a little bit, first of all, um, about your own approach to using hypnosis to overcome, to overcome your own experience of pain, the pain that, that you suffered as a result, and, and what kind of things worked for you and what helped you? Well, I, I think the most important aspect of what I present both to clients and students, is that whatever you do has to be portable. Yeah. Uh, the people that I'm dealing with are are living with chronic pain. Yeah. Um, that is not a scheduled operation. <laughs> no, no, quite. It, it's twenty four seven. It pops up, uh, and you know it has peaks and valleys, of course, for for most people. Uh, but it is got to be 
while you're driving your car or while you're sitting at your desk at work, you've got to be able to do something to get a sense of to maintain a sense of control uh, or comfort and do it with your eyes open in seconds to yeah. minutes at the most. Um, so that I think the portability is the most important thing and and the certainty that uh, everybody is able to improve to to a measurable degree at any time yeah yeah so so for you it was it was being able to 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 sort of do it whenever you needed to and 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 be able to to apply it in a variety of different circumstances the variety of different occasions in your life and and have it portable yes yeah yes. yeah and and so, so with regards to, I mean, one of the things you mentioned earlier on within the interview as well, when we were talking about, you know, some of the impressive applications of hypnosis and, 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 you, and you were mentioning this stuff, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, a lot of people were coming to see you after a couple of years of treatment and perhaps, you, you know, were, were quite, you know, were potentially quite negative or didn't believe in their ability to, to be able to overcome this. Is that an important part of what you do then to be able to, to sort of reinstill their belief that, you know, uh, that, that, that they are capable and that, that, that there are other solutions and other ways? Yeah, that, that's the primary thing and, and probably leads to uh, one of my uh approaches or or you know the technique uh, i don't like technique so much as a um i i, I think that of techniques as templates uh, right yeah so so you have more of a sort of guiding philosophy or something yeah and and i i have one approach that i call the 10 percent solution yeah and i don't know if you've ever had to deal with a, a chronic situation in your life. You're a runner, so I'm I'm guessing you're used to feeling the burn. Yeah. Uh, uh, and when you feel the burn, it's either painful, uh, which most people starting out would think of. Yeah. Uh, or it is really cool because it reminds you of how well you did on your morning run. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly I, I, I refer to deriving some, you know, almost like perverse pleasure in those in the finishing miles of an ultra marathon or a marathon, for example, because I quite enjoy, you know, using my own mind to be able to overcome that discomfort or, or that pain. For example, I, you know, I derive even though it's hurting, it's almost like a reminder of the the. the of what I can do and so on. So, you know, I guess for me, it gets framed in a, in a very particular way. And, and so it's not, not responded to in, in, in a way that is distressing. Well, here again, I, I learn from my clients. Hmm. And I had a client that I was working with at one point <clears throat> who had come to me. To, uh, initially, the reasoning was that she had been diagnosed uh, with um, myofascial pain mm. and 
a couple of other very popular diagnoses. First thing is you are not the diagnosis. Yeah, right. You are the same person you were before the diagnosis, and the diagnosis may change who you become, or the treatment may change who you become, but you're, you are not the diagnosis. You don't have to go that path exactly. Mm. Uh, and this person had uh, been dealing with it for about two or three years at that time, and had been more and more, or less and less, physically active in their life as a result. Yeah. And I suggested that she begin walking as a form of uh, physical conditioning. And she came in after a week and told me, yes, she had been walking and that her uh, hips and her back hurt. And I said, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And she said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you earned that. So you now know the difference between this chronic stuff and the stuff you earned. Yeah, right. And so wear it, wear it like a badge that, you know, I went out and I walked two miles today. Mm. And a week ago, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And yeah. so when you begin to recognize that you have earned pains, earned aches, that, that indicate you're improving your life, then celebrate those. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it may mean a hot pack or, or sitting in a, in, a, in a spa or a warm tub or whatever it is in your life, but these are celebrations. Yeah, And that, that totally reframes the, the uh, situation for most people. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so you equip your clients with, with skills and things that they're able to then go and transport into real life situations and scenarios. Um, is that correct? I, I, I kind of reverse engineer that. Uh, right. they, yeah, yeah, tell me. They're already, re they're already equipped. Sure, sure, yeah, I get what you mean. But they don't recognize how to, how to utilize that. I look for the skills that they show me in how they expect to be in pain. Right, interesting. And I, I use the same skills to or uh, I, I, and I demonstrate to them is probably a better way to say this uh, sure. that that those are the same skills that they would use to feel better. Yes, expecting to feel poorly is imagination. Right. So expect that when you get a level of relief that you can recognize here in the office that you can carry it around and do it wherever you are means that you can always get some relief. Uh, this is, it, it ties into what I call the 10% solution. So you've had situations where you were in a painful situation. And, uh, if you came to me in the office and, and said, you know, I have this XYZ, I said, oh, yeah, I, dude, I've been there, done that. I know what you're talking about. Uh, if I can wave my magic wand and guarantee, 100% guarantee, the 100% relief here today in the office, would that be a good thing? <laughs> what, what do you think most people say? Yes. Okay, it's most not going to Most people are saying, yes, skippy, whoopie doo. Yeah, and, and I say, well, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it happen, but in all likelihood, not today. And they kind of look at me, and 
and what I've done is I've just gotten their attention because most people say, well, we'll see what we can do. Um, so that how would 50% be? Then again, what do you think? How does that click with you when I say how would 50% relief be worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 that, that sounds great to me. You know, I, I, I would be inclined to start thinking about the different sort of kind of impact that it would make on my life to have 50% less pain. Well, you know, and, and with 50%, you know, okay, uh, how about 25? I mean, would you be able to uh, say a lot of people deal with lower back pain? Yeah. Uh, so say if, would you be able to go out to dinner with your with your wife or your spouse and, and, or family and sit in a restaurant for three hours? If you could shift the way that that experience is. Mm. Mm. Would you be able to would you be able to play with your children or your grandchildren? Would you be able to do different things in your life that you've restricted yourself? This woman that I mentioned with uh, fibromyalgia and and all that, uh, she she used to play tennis and and walk you know three four miles a day, and she had stopped doing all that. I said, would you be able to get back to to enjoying yourself in those ways? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So. What I'm really doing is throwing away the expectation of total relief. Yes. To how much relief would I have to have? How how closely can I pay attention to this so that I can recognize a level of relief that I can get? Hmm. And when I get them into the 10 to 25 percent range, uh, generally. And I hear again, it depends on the client. Uh, I don't use formal inductions much. Uh, I think that, it, you know, going back to you, you had a question of what, what I do differently, I teach my clients or my students to recognize trans state in ordinary conversation. Mm. Um, when people, you pose a question and they kind of, their eyes glaze and they look off into the distance to come up with a memory of something, that's, that's a trance state. Mm. Uh, and keying in on that, uh, one of my favorite areas uh, is uh, grandchildren. If a person is of an age that they have grandchildren, and many of the people that I see, again, are dealing with chronic and young healers aren't dealing with a hell of a lot of chronic in general. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm dealing with a, 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 a to at least some extent with older people. So I said, "Tell me about your you have you have children, grandchildren." They go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and they smile. And as soon as they think of uh, of grandchildren, you've got children, right? You, but yeah. they still. So you can't even imagine yet what it's gonna what it's gonna be like with grandchildren. No, no. But uh, you've seen your parents or your your wife's parents dote on these children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you you stand there and you look at it and you go, they never liked me that much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Grandchildren are unconditional love. In yeah. most cases. Yeah, yeah, right. You can, you can have issues with your child because they did or didn't do what you expected them to do and they did or didn't achieve all that yada yada. Mm. But, so you can have issues with your child, but you, grandchildren get a free pass. Mm. 
So when I'm working with someone and they have grandchildren, I get them to begin to describe the grandchildren. And I just watch them light up. The more detail they give me about their grandchildren, the more I let them prattle on, so to speak. Uh, and at some point, I turn that into their induction. Yeah. Because they're going, I say, okay, you, you know that feeling you, you, you have there about your grandchild? Just go into that feeling for a moment here. And you can, might even mark it in your mind with a, uh, like an icon, a, a button with a picture of your grandchild so that you can go directly into the feeling without having to go through the detail that you've told me already. Brilliant. Uh, so that I'm, get, I'm going to what I call sense of place rather than safe place or I, I, I don't like safe place. Yeah, sure. uh, <clears throat> safe place infers that everywhere else isn't. Yeah. Um, but that's just my ratchet mind. Uh, <laughs> I, I I like places of resource. But a, a client begins to tell me about their grandchildren, or with other clients, sometimes you know, what's your favorite thing? I scuba diving. I'm in Florida. There's a lot of wonderful water here. Uh, so get get them to tell me their best day stuff. Yeah. And that is the induction. Mm. I don't have to talk about the beach. I get them to tell me. Mm. And when they start nodding their head and going into that recognizable trance state, I just say, okay, that's good. And some people can imagine these things even more clearly with their eyes open or closed. It really doesn't matter. And then just go on from there. And generally, uh, when they return to full alertness, I, like any other even formal trances, there's been a time shift. Yeah. Uh, and, and I say, you know that thing that you came to see me about? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that now. And there's generally at least a 30% improvement. Brilliant, brilliant. And so, I mean, you mentioned because earlier, you know, about about measurable differences and so on. You 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 absolutely measure as far as you know the percentages and things are concerned with regards to that their experience of discomfort or pain in the session. Well, I, I never, I'm not, I don't like the tell me on a scale of one to ten no, about sure. your. Uh, if I use that at all, and I use it a lot with doctors, I will say, you know, when you're speaking with your patients. You can tell them here. Here in, in the the American Medical Association has made pain a, a vital sign, so they have to yeah. ask you about your level of pain. Yeah. And so I say, when you do that, say, you know, I have to ask you about your level of pain, but what I'm really interested in is your level of comfort. Yeah. So tell me about an area of your body that's not affected at this time. Cool. Every cell in our body is connected to every other cell and knows whatever is going on. So the ones we focus on are the ones that give that have the message for the rest. Yeah. And if we're fighting pain, then that's our attention. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. So, um... Dan, I know that, that, that you know, you've, you've written books on this subject, um, um, as well as, you know, you, you present, you lecture and you teach. 
Um, um, is there a kind of is there is there a, a central ethos or a couple of central characteristics to your approach when you are teaching this kind of approach? Well, I, I realise it, it's tough to just kind of put into a a nutshell. Well, the, the greatest difficulty I have with putting it into that nutshell is that uh, it's a little like Schrodinger's. Yeah. Uh, not not his cat, his box. I mean, I'm not sure the box is there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I I could be convinced there's a box, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so I, I I think the most difficult aspect of my teaching is getting across the idea that it isn't difficult. Right. Yeah. That it's actually about. And it's not about changing the client. It's about being able to transform ourselves with flexibility to recognize what they're actually saying and what they're expressing. Mm. Mm. And utilize that in our work so that I think it's much easier to teach somebody how to vary a trance that they already know than it is to teach them a whole new trance. Sure, sure. I think that's a really interesting point that you made there. Um, you know, it, your your center, you know, your, your your statement. It's not that it's not that difficult, um, um, because I think typically because it's pain, people usually associate that as being you know a a, a really major thing to be working with. Um, yeah. um, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, you know, in particular, people that perhaps are new to the field um, or newly qualified will probably, you know, or, or potentially sometimes consider that a much more challenging application of hypnosis. Do you, do you think or, or, or not? Absolutely. I, I think the hypnotist is generally more afraid of the pain than the client. Yeah, right. Um, and I, I think that's because in most of the change work that we're trained for, transformation comes in a week or two weeks or six weeks or or some you know it becomes a, a change in lifestyle a little at a time <clears throat> those type of things it's yeah. not yeah. yes or no at the end of the session yeah and when they are dealing with yes or no uh as in any situation either or there is no actual choice yeah uh either or is kind of like voting here in America these days, uh, <laughs> lesser of the evils. Yeah. Uh, when you bring in a third factor, then you begin to have a choice. Mm. Uh, so when you, when you're dealing with pain, pain relief and I, and I say pain relief and you picked up on that, uh, which I'm really glad to hear. Mm. Uh, many people will talk about their pain management course mm. and to me that means that they have studied it and that they have all the theories but they have not lived it right uh, because management is yet another job yeah and my clients are 24 7 for years before they come to see me and they're exhausted they don't want another job they want relief yeah so yeah yeah absolutely and um um so so typically is there 
Is there such a thing as a typical kind of pain-based issue that you deal with, or is this just across the board? So, you, you, you know, we're talking everything from injuries to fibromyalgia, for example, um, or, or is there a kind of area which you, you, you specialize in even further? Uh, no, I, not, not so much. I, when you think about it, whatever your practice is, people come to you because they're in chronic pain, whether they whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. Yeah. And, and so suffering. The, the approach that I use is really I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate my, your candor. <laughs> in my own mind, in that I, I don't see a... Uh, I, I'm not afraid of their pain. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not concerned with my ability uh, to fix them because, in, in my mind, they're not broken. Well, that's really, you know, I, I think that's something. Uh, first of all, I would say that I, I think you communicate that, you know, and you communicated that, you know, before you even said it. You know, I think that comes across with, 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 with the way in which you communicate about the subject, and of course, you know, with you having had your own relationship with. With, with pain and, and you, you, you know, your, your pain relief approach. But one of the things I think, you know, that, that kind of um, perception um, or, and that kind of way of, of framing your own approach must surely beneficially influence the client because they must feel a sense of trust in you. That, you know, it, it must be inherent the way in which they then perceive you as being credible and, and easier to invest themselves in what it is that you are presenting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're. When clients call for their initial, you know, they talk. We're talking on the phone, trying to decide whether or not uh, I am a voodoo dancer or what. <laughs> um, Which you only do on Saturdays. Well, no, I, I do it on Tuesdays as well, but only. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that I say. Uh, as part of the conversation and usually toward the end of the conversation when we've agreed that they're going to come in and see and, and do that kind of thing yeah. is okay look do me a favor and before you come in write down three things three other things that you'd like to address in your life so that we can go ahead and use the full session mm. um, and one sentence apiece I, I, I don't want a uh, a novel here, just one sentence a piece of three different things that you'd like to uh, improve in your life in any way. Mm. <clears throat> and to me, that, that says, okay, your issue, not a problem. It's not going to take the whole session. So yeah. give me three things that we can fix while you're here. Great. Uh, it, it just changes the whole the whole attitude, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, um, Dan, what, what, you know, while we were off while we were off mic, um, and we were chatting a bit earlier, you were talking about, and um, you know, I'm aware of the fact that um, you're going to be coming to Europe in the foreseeable future, and. Um, um, so, you know, w w with your permission, for anybody listening, I'd just like to add, you know, um, um, anybody that's interested, any of you guys that are listening, that are interested 
in, in, in hosting workshops or seminars with regards to pain, pain relief and applications of hypnosis and, and, and other facets of stuff that you can see on Dan's website. Um, um, or, or if you're interested in any of the workshops that, um, that Dan will be putting on, then please do contact us here at the show um, or contact Dan um, um, directly via his website. Um, because uh, uh, it would be a lovely opportunity and potentially quite a rare opportunity to, to, to come and be part of something that he does um, over, over this side of the Atlantic. Um, Dan, what can I say? I could speak to you for hours and hours about this subject and we're sort of getting to that point where uh, we're running out of our scheduled time. Um, um, once again, if you'd like to go and explore some more of Dan's work, it is danclearyhypnosis.com and there will be a link uh, um, on this particular episode. Really all that leaves me to say is, um, Mr. Daniel Cleary, thank you very, very much for coming and being part of Hypnosis Weekly. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed that discussion. I love Dan's mindset that dealing with pain using hypnosis is, and I quote him, not that difficult. And I also loved that notion that you are not the diagnosis. You know, a lot of people have an identity uh, related to their issues. Um, there's a link to the website of Dan Cleary over at this uh, episodes page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. And there's also a link to the book depository page where you can grab a copy of Dan's book, Targeting Pain. Uh, Dan tells me if you follow that link, you will get free shipping too, you lucky things. So this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid. And it's this. Hypnosis is effective in reducing blood pressure in the short and long term. Yes, indeed. The study, Effectiveness of Hypnosis in Reducing Mild Essential Hypertension, a one-year follow-up by Gay, back in 2007, shows that hypnosis is effective in reducing blood pressure in the short term, but also in the middle and long terms. So our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week is that simply hypnosis is effective in reducing blood pressure in the short and long term. And there's a link to the International Journal of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis journal entry for this study at this episode's page at the Hypnosis Weekly website. I do have many more exciting guests that I'll welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website. Uh, next time out, I welcome London-based hypnotherapist and a man behind the UK's most ambitious hypnosis convention, Mr Nick Ebden. Um, I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, questions and queries. Uh, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Dan Cleary. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.